All right, let's hear, uh, for, let's hear from God's word. Why don't you guys stand with me, and I'm going to read our passage. And then, Jade, do you mind shutting the door? Because it's going to get hot in here if we keep that open. It's humid today. Okay. All right, so these are Jesus' words, not reverence. Uh, put your body in a place of receiving God's word. And this is Jesus' teaching in Luke 11, verses 5 through 13. This is what Jesus says. He, then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and it has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8 I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus goes on to say, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we are thankful that we get to be here in your presence. Um, God, we just remind ourselves right now that we are not here for anything or anybody other than you. In this moment, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. God, we want to hear your voice. And Lord, we want an encounter with the living God. So Holy Spirit, come. We invite you to fill us afresh pray that you would speak to us, empower us, and then, Lord, when we leave today, I pray that we would leave loving you more, being transformed, and seeking your kingdom first. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. All right, do you ever feel like God over-promises and under-delivers? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, when I was prepping for this passage, this passage is one of my favorite passages of all time. Um, but all of us at some point, whether you're a Christian that's new in your walk with Christ or you follow Jesus for a long time, at some point in your life, you will feel like God overpromises and underdelivers. And if I'm being completely transparent, sometimes I feel that way about this passage. You're like, it's amazing. The, the promises in this passage are unbelievable. Jesus is like, he's talking about the heart of the Father, and he says, like, ask and it will be given to you. You're like, great. Seek and you'll find. Awesome. Knock and the door will be opened. And then you go to pray and take Jesus up on his word and you ask and you don't receive. You seek and you don't find. You knock and the door doesn't seem to be opened. Do you guys feel that tension? Maybe in your season where you felt that in the past or maybe you're in a season right now where you feel that way. But I'm just telling you, when I read this passage, that's what I feel. And last week we were, we were in this series called On the Road and Jesus is on the road. He's He's going to Jerusalem to take his throne to rule over the nations, and he has to travel through the cross and through the resurrection to get there. And he's preparing his disciples to take over his ministry after he departs. So as Jesus is on the road, he's, he's teaching his disciples. He's giving them instructions like the one we're talking about today. He's having encounters with people that teach us what it means to follow Jesus on the road. All these things are meant to instruct us. And last week we talked about Jesus being our first security, our highest priority, our highest authority. But here's the key. Here's the key. You will not make Jesus your number one in your life if you don't trust that his word is true. 
And I think we have to wrestle with that. Does God overpromise and underdeliver? And so that's some of the tension that I want to explore in this passage. And I also want to paint a picture for you of the heart of God in prayer so that you will be compelled to seek God in a way that maybe you haven't before or maybe to instill a new confidence in you from what Jesus said. So we're going to explore that in this passage. So if you have your Bible, uh, open up to Luke chapter 9. Again, we're going to be in verses uh, 5 through 13. And just a reminder, the being on the road, this kind of language that we're using, is a picture for us. Literally, in Jesus' day, Jesus is on the road. People are actually getting on the, on the road, literally, to follow him. But for us, this is a picture of traveling with Jesus through the world on the narrow road of the kingdom. And on that narrow road, we're going to have to learn an essential practice uh, in that of prayer. And so uh, we, I didn't cover this passage, but literally, if you look at your Bible, the, the verses just before this parable, this teaching that Jesus gives, was the Lord's Prayer. And so when the disciples come up to him, they're like, Jesus, teach us the pr- to pray. They notice something that's very unique and specific about Jesus' prayer life, and they want in on that. And so Jesus gives them a method on how to pray. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. And that's a sermon for a different time. But then Jesus moves from method to motivation because he realized method is not enough, but there needs to be motivation. The disciples need to have his same heart towards the Father and the Father's same heart towards him. The the disciples need to catch a vision of that if they're actually ever going to last in persevering and seeking God in prayer. And so Jesus starts off, and I'm not going to reread those verses, but he starts off with a parable. He goes, "Suppose suppose one of you has a friend. He's coming into town. And he's coming to stay with you, and uh, you need to provide food for him. And he's like, so you're going to go to your friend down the, down the road or down the street or literally right next door, and you're going to go to them, and you're going to knock on their door at midnight, and you're going to say, hey, friend, would you give me some bread? All right, let me pause for a second. So in Jesus' culture, they lived in a communal culture. They lived in a culture that had, like, the, the value of hospitality was such a high value. So if, you, if a traveler showed up to your house and you didn't have bread for them, food for them, it was inc- an incredible amount of shame. And so Jesus is saying, like, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you ask for bread. Jesus is saying, anybody in this circumstance, this friend would have offered bread for you because there's no fries down the street. Everybody gets that everybody pitches in. And Jesus paints this picture where this friend goes, listen, I can't get out of bed and come give you bread. Then you read the passage and you're like, well, all you have to do is get up and give me bread, you know? And Jesus says, listen, for the sake of friendship, although you guys are friends, he won't give you bread, but because of this man's shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you bread. Now, when I read this passage, and uh, when I first read it, and I actually did some studying this week, I actually thought Jesus' point was he was teaching us, like, hey, that in prayer we need to have shameless audacity. Have you guys ever heard that? Like, you read this passage, you're like, oh, Jesus is showing us that we need to have shameless audacity. But what's fascinating is that's actually not what Jesus is saying in this passage. The emphasis on this passage is not on the man's shamelessness in prayer, his shameless audacity, but it's actually on the friend's shamefulness to not give him bread. So Jesus is saying, listen, this friend of yours, this quote-unquote friend, he won't offer bread to you, and yet because of your shameless audacity, he will eventually give it to you. And he goes, how much more your father who loves you, delights in you, is for you, would he give you bread when you ask? I was, uh, I was with my uh, daughter this morning. I, you can put up a picture on the screen. Uh, we had a little daddy-daughter day. I know, this is Kinsley. 
Isn't she growing up so fast? Tomorrow she's 16 months old. Uh, anyways, so Crystal, my wife, went to an Orange Theory workout, and so we had breakfast together, and then literally during breakfast she's like, did you take a picture? And I was like, no, because I never take pictures. And so we grabbed that picture. So I love my daughter. She's like, she's literally, like, she kills my heart. Like, she makes me melt. And she's, like, starting to look at me, look like me, which she always has, but it's getting, it's getting kind of fun. Um, but my, my daughter's in the season of life that is so cute. Her, the, the only word that she really knows right now is help. So to literally, if you, if, you, if you see her, it's like, help, 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 help. And she says it all the time, all day. It's like, help, 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 help. And uh, like we have like the, this like, sweet little connection. It's so cute. And, uh, and so I, this is a true story. Every single morning, literally every single morning, uh, I walk into my daughter's room. And I'm, like, ready to greet her because, like, that's what used to happen. She would stand up, look at me, and we'd, like, smile and giggle. It's like, you were going to play. And then all of a sudden, probably, like, two or three weeks ago, that just completely stopped. And I was like, that kind of sucks. And I, I was, Crystal's like, what's going on? I'm like, every single time I wake her up in the morning, I go up. She sees me. Then she leans over her crib. She doesn't even look at me. And she just points down and goes, help, 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 help. Because she throws her pacifiers on the floor during the night. Literally. So we give her like four or five pacifiers. And then she throws them on the floor. And I remember I was like, Crystal, it would be kind of nice if like she actually like wanted to like greet me in the morning. But the first thing, the only thing that she can say is just help, 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 help. And here's one of the things that I realized about that. As beautiful it is, there's something about the, the, the heart of God as a father that I'm starting to catch in this season as a dad myself. It's funny, even my daughter, as silly as it is, when she's trying to use me, when she's trying to ask something from me rather than connecting with me first, even when she's going, help, 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 in the first, like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to say hi? My heart is still warm towards her. There's something in me that's like, listen, even when you're asking and you don't stop asking and you keep asking, there's something in me that goes, even when you don't even want me all the time and you just are coming to me, my heart is still warmed by that. And I think there's something in that reality that Jesus is trying to get at here. I think Jesus is trying to say, listen, you don't need to, you don't need to pray with shameless audacity, but it's that you're free to pray with shameless audacity. Listen, when you get, here's the, here's the point of the passage. When you get that you have a Father in heaven who delights in you, who loves you, who's not wanting complete perfection out of you, yes, he isn't, but he's not using that as the standard to measure his relationship with you. When you finally get that, you'll start to realize that he delights in you. He wants to move towards you. And you can say, help, help, help. And you can, you can go into his presence and he's, and he's just there and he wants to be with you. When I talk to seven tenors oftentimes about prayer, here's one of the things that I've realized. The biggest thing that deters people from prayer, in my opinion, is not unanswered prayer. It's not struggling how to pray. It's trying to tear down fake and false and distorted views of God in their hearts. Because I'm telling you, when you have distorted views of the heart of God in your heart, you will never want to pray. And Jesus, right off the bat, he's trying to say, listen, you have a father who delights in you. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, he goes, listen, because you have a father who's not a lame friend, but actually wants to give you your help in time of need, he says this, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so Jesus is saying, listen, since you have a father, a friend who wants to help you, ask, seek, and knock. And what's interesting about this passage, if you actually like uh, study the verb tense of those words, it's not just like, hey, just ask, 
just seek, just knock, the verb tense actually talks about a continued, like a continued action. So what Jesus is saying, listen, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And if you do, you will be given, you will receive, the door will be opened. And so it was funny to me. So I was sitting with this passage, and I was really like wrestling with it. And I was asking some like hard questions. And I was trying to get even inside of your mind, like what would you might even be asking? And I had this thought, if Jesus just told us a parable, trying to convince us of the heart of God to help us, and then he says, therefore, just keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking, why is God so bent on asking if he wants to help us in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? Like, if God just wants to, like, meet me where I am, if he wants to answer my prayers, why does he want us to keep asking? Why does he want us to, to keep knocking, to keep seeking? Does anybody get tired in your prayer life of constantly asking, seeking, and knocking? You're like, I'm just so tired. Why does God keep doing that? And so there's this book called um, Praying, My, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, Tyler Statton, who's a pastor out of Portland. And he talks about in this book, there's two reasons that I think are super helpful of why God wants us, why he's specifically so bent on asking in prayer. The first is relationship. So in the biblical story, um, the story of God literally starts with relationship. God and, uh, God and his humanity are one uh, they are, like, in one, like, intimate relationship. Like, it, like, the biblical story starts with friendship. The biblical story ends with friendship. Literally, God's, ga- God's end game in the gospel is to be with you. It's to be enjoyed by you. And it's to enjoy you forever. And so relationship is God's highest, one of God's highest priorities with you as his child. And one of the things that you'll know about relationships, tell me if this is not true. You don't have intimate relationships without communication and specifically asking. Because asking requires vulnerability. Have you noticed that? Think about this for a second in your life. When you are still trying to prove yourself to somebody, when you aren't sure about how somebody feels about you, you will put a limit on what you ask from them, won't you? Because the relationship isn't close. So you won't ask audacious things. You won't... You won't pester them because you're like, I don't want to upset them. But as soon as you know that somebody is safe and that you can trust them, you'll start asking the vulnerable and you won't put limits to your asking. And I think there's something about that in our relationship with God. If you, if some people go like, listen, when I'm mature, like I can just like be content with what I have and I can just stop asking. And I think one of the things that I would say is you can actually know how intimate your relationship with God is by how much you're willing to ask things from him. Does that make sense? Tyler Statton says this. He says, when you ask anyone for anything, you risk rejection or at least disappointment. Until we ask God for something, he can't disappoint or surprise us. We cannot build trust with God without asking. Asking is the means by which we build the relationship with God he designed us to enjoy. Here's the thing. Asking allows for real relationship to happen. And so Jesus says, ask and keep asking. Uh, I was thinking about this a lot uh, recently because um, it's so fascinating. I was, I was thinking about that, that reality of like when, when you ask, you allow God to disappoint or surprise you. And there's a couple of things that I, I thought of with that. One, and, I, I was, and I'm going to say this to you, but I was reflecting on this myself. I'm just going to be honest. Some of you, your asking is so vague 
and so general that if God answered the prayer, you wouldn't even know. Have you thought about that? God, make me godly. Like, that is measurable at some level, but what what does that even mean? And if God answered that prayer, how would you know? Or like, God, I just pray that you would be with me today. We have these prayers, and and I think there's like a self-defense mechanism in our hearts where we go, if I get super specific with my prayers, I actually might get disappointed. And if I'm specific with my prayers, I actually might be surprised the opposite way. And so I've, I've thought about this in my life. Here's, here's one of the things that I realized. In my life right now, God has answered a ton of prayers. Like, literally, I'm in a season where God is like prayer after prayer. But here's, have you ever noticed God will, won't answer the big prayer sometimes, but then the little thing that seems like he, like he wouldn't care about, he answers? It's unbelievable. I, uh, so my wife and I are actually, so we're five years married. Somebody just asked me before uh, 7 like, how long have you and your wife been married? So we're, we're on our sixth year of marriage. And, uh, yeah, we're at a point in our marriage. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. Um, but we're, so we're in our, in our sixth year of marriage, and uh, we realize that we're in a part of our marriage where there's things in our marriage that we need to work through in counseling. I, I love counseling. I'm all for it. I think it's just intentional discipleship. I think everybody at some point in their life should see a therapist and grow. It's, uh, it's great. But so, but... Crystal and I, like I talked about this last week, but we're in a season where just money is, sh- is short and it's like we, month to month budget, we're trying to figure out if it works. And it's like something big happens every month that puts us over. So we're in that season. And I'm like, Lord, I feel like we, in my life, we're in a season where we just, we just need counseling. Like we just, there's a specific stuff that we're working through and we just need some extra help. And I was like, but Crystal's doing some counseling. I'm doing some counseling. And then we're supposed to do a third. I'm like, that's just, li- that's like $500. I'm like, Lord, I literally, we can't afford that. So Crystal comes home from counseling one day, and she's like, you won't believe what just happened. I was like, what? She goes, my counselor said she would do counseling for me for free while we do marriage counseling so that we can get some of this help, that stuff done that we need to. And I was amazed by that. I was like, God, man, like when you pray specific things, God does here. And then at the very same time, my mom's been having some health issues. So my mom is like healthy, like has been healthy like the whole of my life. Like people are like, geez, like how old is your mom? Like she's like in shape. And all of a sudden, like three years ago, no, two years ago, she took a turn and like now she can barely walk. She, uh, and it all happened, of course, when uh, Kinsley came into our life. So like at most she can, I don't think she can even walk a mile a day right now. Um, sometimes she's like been bedridden for days. She's had three surgeries and nothing can fix it. And the last doctor that she went and visited, literally the last thing the doctor said was, I don't know what to tell you. I did surgery on you, and good luck. And so I sit there and I go, God, you just answered a little thing, providing a little money, and I've been praying for this thing with my mom. Why do you say yes and why do you say no? And here's, here's what I realized in that. I don't know, ultimately, God's answer to that question, and maybe similarly in your life, you don't know the answer to some of those questions. But here's what I realized. My relationship with God in that has grown. You know why? Because I've been specific enough in my prayers and saying, I need this. And so God's like, here's the money. God surprised me. God, I want healing for my mom. This is what I'm specifically asking for. The answer has been no or not yet, and I'm disappointed. Here's the point. That's where, what, what real relationship is when God can disappoint or surprise you. I want to just say something to you, and this might, this isn't like, this doesn't get billboards. God will disappoint you. God will really, really, really disappoint you. 
Some of you need to hear that because we live in a season where we, and we sing songs about victory all the time, which is great, but we rarely sing songs about lament. We sing songs like, you're never going to lament, you're never going to, you know, like we sing and we declare God's never going to let us down. And I'm like, well, yes and no. But here's the thing. God, because he loves you, and because he, he's good and he's wise, he will do things that will radically surprise you and radically disappoint you all at the same time. And I just say, take courage, because that's where real relationship is. Don't run away, keep leaning in. So the first thing is relationship. The second thing is empowerment. Now, I'm just going to warn you, some of you can misunderstand what I'm about to say and like call me a heretic, but I want to show you something that's really powerful in the scriptures about prayer. So the first thing, God's end game is relationship with you, but empowerment is the way that he gets you there. So here's the thing. Uh, Jesus didn't just come to redeem the world, but he invites us to partner with him in that redemption. In the beginning of the Bible, uh, we were made in relationship with God, but we were also made what scripture calls co-laborers, which means God works with us and we work with God in what he's doing in the world. Like God could have just done everything that he's doing in the world apart from you, but he, in his kindness and his generosity, he loves to use humans. We're co-laborers with him. And there's something in scripture that's really fascinating. I want to take you through this quick story um, to show that like there's actually something about our prayers that can change God's mind. All right, so Moses uh, was the man that God appointed to take uh, Israel out of Egypt to deliver them from slavery. And so God delivers them from slavery, and then literally immediately they go and start, like, making a golden calf, and they start to commit idolatry. And, like, literally, like, God saves them, and they start worshiping somebody else. And he's like, God's furious. And so Moses, in prayer, empowered by his own desire and love for the people and the promises of God, he actually turns to God to try to convince God to not destroy the people. So in Exodus 32, look what it says. He says, this is Moses' prayer to God. Now put yourself in the story. He says, turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. In other words, Moses saying, like, God, you promised that you would make this people into a nation and that you would bless all nations through this people. Do not destroy them. Turn from your fierce anger. And so, okay, so that's Moses' prayer. Next scene. This is how God responds. In verse 14, it says this. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, you could read that as a story. It's like, oh, isn't that sweet? But I want you, I want you to pay attention. Moses confronted God on something that God was going to do and won. Moses confronted God on something God was going to do. God was going to destroy Israel and quote-unquote won, so to speak. He changed God's mind. And just to drive the point a little bit further, I'm just teaching what the Bible says. That word relented, uh, it's, the, it's the Hebrew word nahamed, not Muhammad, but nahamed with an N, and that word in Hebrew literally means to change one's mind or even to repent. So the actual translation of that literally says, then the Lord repented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Now listen, this is where I want to make it very clear what I'm saying. I am not saying that God sinned. I'm not saying that God was wrong. What the passage is saying is that Moses' prayer moved the creator God of the universe. And God changed his mind, said, I was going to destroy them, but now I'm not because you interceded on their behalf. Here's the point I want to say in this. Moses' prayer 
moved the heart of the creator God of the universe, and so can yours. Because you go into the presence of God, not with the name of Moses, but with the name of Jesus. And when God sees you, he sees a son, and you have a higher status than Moses. And here's what I want you to tell you. I'm just telling you, many of you don't pray because you think God was, is just, in answering your prayer, is just going to do what he was always going to do. But I'm just telling you, unless you recognize that your prayer actually makes a difference on what God does or not do, you will never want to pray. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? So there's relationship in God. There's actual empowerment. God wants to work with you. He wants to hear with you. And in, the, in, in that, in the mystery of that, God works out his will. All right, let's close the passage. This is what Jesus says. He says, Which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So I love this. Jesus is saying, listen, how many of you, like, if your kids ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. If your kids ask for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. And you, like, this passage is amazing. You're like, oh my gosh. He's just like, listen, I know humanity's evil and they still love their kids well. He goes, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I'm going to be honest. Do you kind of feel like that was a little bit of a letdown at the end of that passage? When I read that passage, like, you think Jesus is talking about earthly blessings. You think he's talking about material possessions. Then all of a sudden, he like, flips it on you on the end. He's like, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what's interesting, in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, how much more is God willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In Matthew's uh, account of this, Jesus says, how much more is the Father willing to give good gifts to his children? So which is it? How I understand this passage is that Jesus is saying, listen, Human fathers who are evil know how to love their kids. How much more your Father in heaven who loves you, will he give good gifts to you and ultimately the greatest gift of his own presence to you in the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this. What's your win in prayer? Is it getting gifts or is it getting God? Because isn't this true? Oftentimes we go into the presence of God to get gifts, whatever those are, and we end up getting his presence instead. And so what I love about this passage, when I, when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, why do I feel like this passage overpromises and underdelivers at times? Because like I ask, Jesus is like, he's saying like, ask and it'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. Because Jesus is saying, listen, you ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, but for the Holy Spirit and you will receive. You will find, and the door will be open, and I will give my Holy Spirit to you. One uh, person I read said that uh, for God to give the Holy Spirit is to give you ultimately everything he could ever give you. It's to give him yourself. Uh, I want to illustrate this point uh, as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, I came across a story when I was uh, prepping for this that I thought was really interesting, and it's actually a story about Alexander the Great. I mean, many of you guys know, you've been through school, you know who Alexander the Great is, one of the greatest war heroes of all time that conquered the, all of the known world. And there's the story of a man, I don't know if this is true, but it's a great, it's a great story. I'm, I'm guessing it is or isn't, I don't know what it is. But this man approached Alexander the Great, and uh, so he, he came up to Alexander the Great, and he said, hey, I need some money. And so Alexander the Great was like, hey, go talk to my treasury. He'll figure that out for you. And so the man go and talks to his treasurer. 
And, and the, apparently the man asked for a ton of money. And so the treasurer came back to Alexander the Great, and he's like, do you know how much money this guy asked for? And it's funny, because you'd think of somebody like a war hero like Alexander the Great would just say no. And he goes, yeah, give it to him. And the, and the treasury was like completely like shocked. He's like, why would you do this? And this is accordingly to the story what Alexander the Great said. He said, he has treated me as a king in asking, and so I shall be a king to him in giving. I want to ask you a question. Do you treat Jesus as a king in your asking? Scripture says in Psalm 24:1 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Have you, ever had, have you ever had the experience where somebody came to you, or no, no, somebody came to you in a conversation and they're like, and they went to go get something from somebody, like it was wisdom, or they went to like go get from somebody else what you're an expert at? Do you know the dishonor and what that feels like? You know, like I sometimes I'll sit across from somebody and like, I don't know, like they'll want to like talk about a topic that I've like, I really love, that I've learned a lot about, that I've prayed about that I've, oh, whatever like I just know really well and then they'll come up to me and they're like I was really wrestling with this question and I was talking with so and so and so and so and I'm like ask me I actually know a lot about you know have you ever had that silly but have you ever had that experience sometimes I feel like that in our relationship with God he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he owns everything and we just go to everybody and anything else and in a sense, we dishonor him because he's like, listen, just come to me. There's an honor in coming to Jesus and asking him for outlandish things because he's the king that has everything. Listen, when you treat Jesus like a king and asking, my guess is he might actually be a king to you in giving. There's something really beautiful in that. And so as we wrap up here, I want to I I point out one thing to you that I just has been really like resting on my heart as I've thought about this passage. Let me ask you a question. In the parable, the man asking for bread, who was he asking for bread for? His friend. His friend. When Moses actually, like, he, he got into that confrontation with God, he's like, God, would you do something? Who was his prayer for? Someone else. Some, one of the things that I've wondered is if oftentimes our disappointment in asking for bread, so to speak, is because we're trying to, to ask for bread for ourselves and not for somebody else. Think about that for the second. We come, we ask, we seek, we knock. We're like, God, give me, give me, give me, 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 me. And Jesus is, it's so interesting, the story he tells. He's, listen, the man is in need, but he's in need for somebody else. And so he goes and says, I need help. And then Jesus, in that context, says, listen, you have a, le- a heavenly father that wants to give you bread, that wants you to give you the gift of his presence for the people that are around you in need. Think about that for a second. I just want to ask you a question. If God granted you the bread that you're asking for in your life, who is it for? Who is it for? Is it for you? Or is it for the traveler who's coming who's begging and is in need? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for bread for yourself. And ultimately in the scriptures, it says that Jesus is the bread of heaven that came down. And when we're asking for bread, we're asking for the presence of Christ. And when we're asking for the presence of Christ, it's to fill us, but also that so that we can give the presence of Christ away to those around us. Does that make sense? So I want, as I close here, I want to give you one practice this week. One practice. For every day 
of this next week, I want you to set your timer for two to five minutes in your room, and I just want you to spend some time praying for the Holy Spirit to fill a need that is broken around you. God, I need the Holy Spirit for my family. God, I need the Holy Spirit for that person in my small group. God, I need the Holy Spirit for my boss at work. God, I need the Holy Spirit for fill in the blank. And I think that's what Jesus would have us do. So as we close, I do think it's beautiful. We have a king, guys. You have a father that loves you, that delights in you, that wants to hear your requests. And he wants you to treat him as a king in asking so that he can be a king to you in giving. Let's pray. Lord, we just are so grateful um, that you invite us to seek you. God, we are so thankful that your presence is here with us. God, we are so thankful that you have a heart of generosity. And Lord, you want to give us the Holy Spirit when we ask. And so, Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would make yourself known to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would show us the heart of the Father. And Jesus, we are thankful that in your life, death, and resurrection that you have shown us the heart of God, a heart that loves us and delights in us. We thank you, Jesus.